ETF Prime is hosted by Nate Geracine, president of investment advisory firm, the ETF Store. This program is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Investing in ETFs involves risk, including potential loss of principal. Any past performance figures discussed are not necessarily indicative of future results. The ETF store is not affiliated with Vetify or any of its affiliates. Vetify's participation in this program should not be construed as an endorsement or indication by Vetify of the value of any ETF store product or service. Visit ETFstore.com for more information. Is it time to amplify your income potential? Explore what a high-quality covered call strategy can do for your monthly income needs. Discover Amplify DIVO and IDVO providing monthly income potential and active management in the efficiency of an ETF. When income matters to you, explore Amplify ETFs. Get current monthly yields at AmplifyYields.com. There's no guarantee that distributions will be made. Investing risk includes principal loss. ETFs are subject to covered call risk. Visit AmplifyETFs.com to view a prospectus which includes investment objectives, risks, fees, expenses, and other information that you should read and consider carefully. Amplify ETFs are distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. Now it's time for ETF Prime, where we discuss everything you need to know about exchange-traded funds and the world of investing. Whether you're an investing expert or just starting out, Nate will help you get up to date with what's happening on Wall Street and show you how exchange-traded funds can help lower your investment costs, reduce your tax bill, and allow you to take advantage of investment opportunities around the world. And now, the host of ETF Prime, Nate Geraci. All right, joining me this week will be George Noble, founder and CEO of Noble Impact Capital, who's behind the Noble Absolute Return ETF, ticker symbol NOPE, N-O-P-E, and if you're out on Twitter, I'm guessing you've likely seen these Twitter spaces uh, George is doing. He's drawn some huge crowds and some big names in investment management. Uh, but if you're not familiar with George, he actually worked alongside Fidelity's Peter Lynch. Uh, that's a big name there. Uh, he worked for him back in the day. He then went on to start two different billion-dollar hedge funds. And now with Noble Impact Capital, He's brought this NOPE ETF to market. Uh, it launched last September, already over $40 million in assets, which is pretty good. But I'm telling you now, you're going to want to hear George's take on the financial markets and passive investing and certainly his take on the existing holdings in his ETF, which uh, includes a, a, a very large Tesla short position. So he'll join me here in a bit. Also on the podcast will be both Robert Jager, who is Vice President, Head of North America at Track Insight, and Mo Sparks, who is Director of Exchange Traded Products at the New York Stock Exchange. They've collaborated on a new ETF data and analytics and news platform called ETF Central. And so we'll find out why they launched that. And we'll discuss exactly what you'll find when you visit ETFcentral.com. And then I also want to spend a few minutes chatting with Mo on some of these ETFs moving down to floor trading on the NYSE, including the PIMCO Active Bond ETF late last year. And then more recently, there were three Harbor ETFs that moved down to the floor. So I'll have Mo explain the potential benefits of doing that. Now, to start this week... I have on the line with me Tom Hendrickson, Chief Product and Innovation Officer at Vetify, and Laura Krigger, Editor-in-Chief at uh, Vetify. 
Our topic will be a fun one. So we're going to look at Vetify's top 10 rising stars ETFs of 2022. And not only that, if we have time, we may uh, try to predict a few rising stars ETFs for 2023. So let's chat with Tom and Laura now. Now we're joined by the experts at Vetify, a new data analytics and thought leadership company that is transforming financial services from an industry to a community, one relationship at a time. We can deliver value to that advisor because that's what they're telling that they want to engage in. We want to make sure that we're putting the right pieces of content in front of them at the right time. Tom, Laura, thanks for uh, joining me this week. We get a uh, two for one. <laughs> That's Thank right, you so Nate. much for Good having morning. me. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. And uh, let's just jump right in here. And, and by the way, big news recently, which Todd Rosenbluth and I did briefly touch on this last week, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about this. TMX Group announced a strategic investment in Vetify, and this was a meaningful investment, $175 million. And look, I know we've previously discussed everything you're building at Vetify. Uh, you have the Alarian indexing business, the S Network global indexing business, ETF trends, ETF database, uh, advisor perspectives, obviously the upcoming uh, exchange conference. But I, I'd love to just hear a little bit more about what this TMX investment means for Vetify moving forward. And, and Tom, I'll ask you that. Yeah, thanks, Nate, for bringing it up. And like you said, we've got a, a really fun one with the rising stars, so I'll step through this relatively quickly. But you're, you're right. So the, the Vetify brand is a short eight months old, but it, it's underpinned, as we've talked about, by a capability set that's literally decades old. So whether it's online content repository, the data that we have around um, investor behavior, our expertise in building uh, index products, those are all things that, you know, there's there's literally decades worth of expertise within the Vetify house. And so as we thought about the opportunity with TMX, you know, really where I'd start is there's two different dimensions. And so one is culturally, uh, I think any uh, well-suited strategic investment and, and partnership needs to be underpinned by a culture that is alike, and we, we have that in spades with TMX. So thinking about putting our clients first, you know, a data-driven, technology-forward solutions orientation, and then ultimately using those things to build better insights and tools to lead to better investor outcomes. All of those things are, are uh, very well shared with, with the TMX group, and we're excited to partner with them in that regard. And, and really what it does for Vetify is it allows us to do more faster. And so, you know, you think about our, the three pillars of our business, the indexing business, digital distribution capabilities, data and analytics, and then, oh, like you said, Nate, oh, by the way, a, a small, you know, couple, we're going to have our 2,000 closest friends down to Miami Beach in a few weeks here to uh, bring that community together in person at Exchange. It allows us to do more in all of those regards. It gives us more uh, f uh, fuel for the fire, so to speak, to invest more in those initiatives. And ultimately, we believe that that's uh, great in, in terms of achieving our mission as Vetify, which is to transform financial services from an industry into a community. So we're thrilled about uh, the partnership with an investment by uh, TMX. We know that there's a heck of a lot of work to do. The opportunity is huge, but uh, it's, it's great to be on that journey together with them. Well, and I'll just add, there's clearly a culture of uh, innovation shared between these two firms. So I saw Dave Nodig had a great piece last week where he noted, uh, you know, you think about Toronto and and what they've done. First ETF was uh, was listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange. But, 
Canada as a whole has just been a hub of innovation, right? Home of the world's first bond ETF, first ETF using options, first physically backed crypto ETFs, first semi-transparent active funds. Uh, Dave has called Canada the, uh, the the Y combinator of the ETF industry, which I love. But I think when you look at TMX Group in particular, and then certainly what Vetify is trying to do, innovation uh, absolutely comes to mind to me. Um, okay, so on the note of being a, a, a data-driven solution or platform, Laura, last week you published the top 10 rising stars ETFs of 2022. And, and broken record here, I think you both know I, I'm a sucker for this stuff. I just love going through these things. And you have a proprietary metric called advisor engagement. And I guess let's start with that and then we'll go through the uh, ETFs. Is that metric any different than some of the other engagement data we've uh, looked at in the past, uh, or is it the same? I, I, either of you can feel that. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that, Nate, and then and then certainly love Laura's uh, insight into the specifics of, of the top ten list. So the advisor engagement statistic is is very similar to the one that we've talked about in the past. The one nuance here is that Laura really uh, went and took a pretty deep dive down to the ticker level. And so she's looking at engagement, um, you know, where, where an advisor is pretty deep in the research process. And so, you know, this is data that is, uh, you know, based on year over year about what, how that engagement has changed from a, from a year over year advisor um, engagement perspective. And, you know, that said, you know, under the, under the covers or under the hood of what we are doing at Vetify, there's, there's a lot of uh, innovation, you know, Nate, to, to uh, speak to the fact that you mentioned it with TMX around how we think about advisor engagement. And there's a lot of uh, depth and breadth in, in ways that, you know, both Laura and I are going to be able to surface here and, and other places around uh, ways that we're evolving and continue to think about really adding value to that world of advisors and how we can uh, better measure that. But but ultimately, it's, it's very similar to the metric that we've talked about in the past. Okay, so for the sake of time, here's how I thought we would do this. Let's go reverse countdown style, starting with number 10. And I'll actually give 10 through 6, and then I'll pause for your thoughts, and then we can get to the top five. So number 10 on the list was the Invesco Aerospace and Defense ETF, ticker PPA, 173% year-over-year uh, increase in engagement. Number nine was the Direction Daily Real Estate Bear three times ETF, ticker DRV, up 178%. Number eight was the ETC Six Meridian Hedged Equity Index Option ETF, ticker SIXH, 195% increase in engagement. Number seven was the Simplify Interest Rate Hedge ETF, ticker PFIX, also with 195% increase. And then uh, number six was the Wisdom Tree Floating Rate Treasury ETF, ticker USFR. Engagement was up 338%. So, uh, Laura, I mean, as you look at those first five, what stands out to you here? Well, what stands out to me about these uh, first five ETFs on the list is that they're uh, frankly, very defensive plays, very defensive uh, towards the markets, um, but they aren't necessarily reactive, right? So, um, for example, uh, you know, the first one that is on the list, PPA, that's the Invesco Aerospace and Defense ETF, that became very popular right around when uh, the Russia-Ukraine war broke out. And so we saw this enormous spike uh, proceeding a little bit uh, just by a few days or weeks, um, you know, the inflows that started to, to come into that uh, fund. So uh, you could see that this would be um, a great uh, tactical opportunity for advisors uh, to, 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 to position their clients in something like this. Um, 
and and uh, you know they weren't necessarily trailing <laughs> whatever headline was happening in the market. I just thought that was very interesting, and you see that pattern with uh, you know the interest rate hedge ETF and the uh, floating rate uh, Treasury ETF from Wisdom Tree. Um, these are all very defensively focused uh, funds that allow you to position your clients for um, safety and uh, you know and to to well position them for markets that were roiled by kind of chaos last year. I'll just add, from my standpoint, the USFR, um, the Wisdom Tree Floating Rate Treasury ETF, that's the real standout to me. Because if you look at flows last year, this thing took in over $11 billion. The, the fund grew from less than $2 billion in assets at the beginning of January 2022 to now it's over $11 billion. And I just feel like this was under the radar from a media perspective, obviously not an investor perspective because we had those 11 billion in flows, but I just didn't feel like I heard a lot about this ETF last year. So I thought it was interesting that this one popped up on your list. I don't know if you have any comments around that. We certainly saw a lot of interest around USFR on the on the platform throughout the year. Uh, we covered it um, quite a bit, uh, you know, in terms of flows going in and and how it could be positioned within a portfolio. But you're absolutely right. From a broad perspective, I do feel like USFR kind of slid under the radar for for most folks uh, in the talking heads. Yeah, um, no, that's arena. exactly that, that's how I felt about it. Okay, let's get to the top five. And again, let me just tee these up, and then we can talk about a few of them. So number five was the Spider Bloomberg one to three month T bill ETF ticker BIL engagement was up three hundred and forty nine percent. Number four was the iShares Treasury Floating Rate Bond ETF, ticker TFLO, up 375%. Number three, which I've got to tell you, this was a big surprise to me, the Core Alternative ETF, ticker CCOR. I'll I'll be honest, I hadn't even heard of that ETF. Engagement was up 392%. And then uh, the top two, both managed futures ETFs. So number two was the KFA Mount Lucas Managed Futures ETF, ticker KMLN, up 471%. And number one, I, I don't think a huge surprise, uh, it, it was the IMGP DBI Managed Futures Strategy ETF, ticker DBMF, up or 913% in terms of engagement, just a, uh, a runaway winner here. So uh, either of you, your thoughts on these top five? Well, so I'll, I'll go first, and then Tom, um, I'll, I'll kick it to you to add any additional, uh, you know, comments you might have. But obviously, the story of 2022 is managed futures. They just were the runaway hit of last year, and I think if you, you know, within context, that makes a lot of sense, right? So we had a, a rising inflation environment, rising rate environment. Many alt strategies were sort of catching advisors' eyes as they were looking for. Uh, sort of refuge in any place they could find, uh, you know, higher performing, better yields, uh, you know, those sorts of strategies. And managed futures were by far and away the better, you know, the best performing of the alts category, right? So, uh, you know, the, the, um, the outperformance for both KMLM and DBMF is something like 40% higher than what we were seeing in SPY and, you know, the other uh, broad uh, equity indexes. So to me, I think that managed futures were just the runaway uh, knockout stars of 2022. And I would not be surprised to see that continue into 2023. Uh, Tom, what do you think? What jumps out at you? 
Yeah, no, I absolutely, Laura. That's that's certainly the marquee. I think one thing you know, Nate and you and I have batted around before is, uh, and I think we actually maybe even did an episode that was titled "The Death of the Sixty Forty. I think what's also sort of an interesting subtext as we look at, uh, you know, this group certainly, but sort of advisor behavior more generally, and where some of the flows are going, and and maybe emblematic of of, of CCOR is this concept of the Venn diagram of the 60 and the 40 somewhat blurring and, and somewhat becoming more overlapped? And, and so advisors thinking about, uh, you know, do I move to 70-30 or is there something that can fit in that sort of middle piece of my portfolio that has some of the attributes of both, uh, you know, an equity-like return and then also of, of more of a traditional ballast that we would think about from a fixed income perspective? And, and there's, been a, there's been a ton of innovation in our space as it relates to different tools within the, the collective advisor toolbox to do that. So I thought, you know, that's, that there's, there's nuance there, and Nate, you may have some thoughts around that, but, you know, I think that that's another thing that's interesting as we think about, um, you know, both the growth and innovation in the space and, and the different tools that advisors have, but also how to solve for some of the challenges that the current market environment poses. No, I think that's well said. Honestly, more than anything, again, I'd like to think I'm pretty good around uh, what's out there in the ETF universe. I just hadn't heard of this ETF. I, I, I had no idea. This thing has nearly $600 million in assets, by the way. So it's not like uh, you know investors haven't taken notice. It's been around since 2017. And I actually went and pulled up the... Uh, the, the fund description. I'll, I'll read this real quick. So the core alternative ETF invests primarily in U.S. equities, specifically focusing on high quality companies across all industries and sectors that have prospects for long term total returns as a result of their ability to grow earnings and their willingness to increase dividends over time. Under normal circumstances, the fund also sells exchange traded index call options and purchases in uh, exchange traded index put options. So, you know, I think to what you were describing, Tom, I mean, this is effectively an equity income play. There's there's a defensive aspect to it. This really fits into a lot of the themes that we saw last year. The other thing that I'll add here just briefly is I looked at the uh, all top 10 ETFs here. So CCOR, which I just mentioned, that was up 3% last year. But if you look at everything else on the list, DBMF up 22%. KMLM up 24%, TFLO up 2%, BIL up over 1%, USFR up 2%, PFIX up 92%, SIXH up 7%, DRV up 69%, and then PPA up 10%. And I, you know, Tom, I think you and I have talked a lot about this in the past. When you look at the engagement data, performance and engagement does seem to go hand in hand, but that that really jumped off the page of me that none of these ETFs had negative returns and what we know was a highly challenging market environment last year. No, absolutely, Nate. And, and I think one thing just for us to all remember and, and the listeners remember, that this is the change in engagement. It's not the overall engagement. So certainly if you think about uh, you know some of the large tickers that we all are, are very familiar with, there would be more uh, overall engagement. It's just the change hasn't been as, as stark as, as the, the funds that Lara has highlighted here. And so I think that you're right, that there is certainly uh, an aspect here of advisors looking for certain things within their portfolio where probably some of the other areas are, are somewhat challenged within a market where both equities and fixed income were down in 2022. 
All right, so I knew this was going to happen. We always run short of time. I should take the uh, the blame for that. We're going to have to go through our uh, our potential rising stars for 2023 uh, on another episode. But I, I will close. I know both of you are getting excited for exchange less than three weeks away from today, which, by the way, for anyone who is not yet registered, it's still not too late. As long as you can actually get yourself down to the conference, uh, it's not too late to uh, register. And as a matter of fact, uh, we have a, a special code, PRIME. You can get, uh, get a $99 advisor pass if you go to exchangeetf.com. But, uh, Tom, Laura, any quick comments regarding exchange uh, b- before I let you go? Really quickly, Nate, I'll jump in there. In fact, we, we can do you one better in terms of your advisor audience, which is, is such a loyal audience to you and, and a partnership we take uh, you know, really, really seriously and appreciate. Is, is we as Vetify are going to offer for the next 72 hours anyone who registers with that prime code a free night stay, one night at the Fountain Blue Hotel, the iconic hotel where the exchange conference will be taking place. So not only are you going to get a, a ticket for $300 less than the, the rack rate, you'll get a free night on Betify uh, in the spirit of our partnership, Nate. I, I absolutely love that. Again, the, the code is PRIME. Go to exchangeetf.com. Tom, Laura, I always enjoy uh, chatting. Again, we are going to have to find a time to go through our rising stars of uh, 2023, but excellent insight this week. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. That was uh, Vetify's Tom Hendrickson and Laura Krigger. NASDAQ ETFs are always on the leading edge of market quality, execution, and reform. Providing tailored ETF services spanning product development, compliance, trading, market structure support, and unparalleled marketing tools to differentiate, activate, and amplify your brand throughout your product life cycle. Visit our ETF landing page today for high-touch ETF support every step of the way. joined by George Noble, founder and CEO of Noble Impact Capital, who's an investment advisor, and perhaps more importantly for our conversation, they're the sub-advisor behind the Noble Absolute Return ETF, ticker symbol NOPE, N-O-P-E, which I'll certainly have George explain that ticker. But if you're not familiar with George, he's been managing institutional portfolios for over 40 years, actually started his career at Fidelity, worked alongside Peter Lynch. He then went on to found two hedge funds, uh, grew both of those to over a billion dollars in assets, and then started up Noble Impact Capital. And he's now on the line with me. George, it's a pleasure. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, great to be with you, Nate. Thanks so much. Okay, so we're going to talk about the uh, ETF, but I've got to ask you first, tell me about these Twitter spaces you're doing. I feel like I see you popping up in my feed all the time. These are very heavily attended. Uh, You have some amazing guests. What have you been trying to do with these? Yeah, so (laughs) I'm probably the world's most unlikely social media personalities. Kind of happened by accident. A little over a year ago, um, I stumbled onto Twitter spaces I liked kind of what I heard in some of the financial discussions, and then I thought I could add to the conversation by virtue of the fact, you know, I've got over four decades of experience and seen a lot of cycles. So I I, I had my own space, first space about a year ago. People liked it. One thing led to another. Next thing you knew, I started bringing in a lot of um, 
very high level uh, uh, investment strategists, strategists who you know previously had only been addressing the institutional marketplace, and it turns out there's a tremendous appetite amongst the investing public to hear from these folks. So we've been doing these spaces uh, about twice a week for the last year, uh, 100 in total thereabouts. Um, they're all there's a recording of all of them on my uh, YouTube channel, and it, I'm really bringing together some of the best. Uh, investment minds out there, uh, along with some of the smartest uh, investors in the uh, investing public. Someone once described me as being kind of like the Uber uh, of, of FinTwit. I'm bringing together the, the drivers uh, with their cars, that is the strategists with their ideas on the one hand. On the other hand, uh, the public looking for investment advice. It's akin to, you know, uh, uh, riders looking for, for a car service. And so it's been really it's become quite a spectacle. Um, probably we're averaging over 20,000 listeners per episode. And I really think we have the, uh, the best content on FinTwit, certainly have the best speakers, um, and uh, I think the smartest audience. So it's, it's really become sort of like a public square to hear what's going on in markets. And by the way, for listeners, uh, George's Twitter handle is gnoble79. Definitely worth a follow. Definitely check out the uh, the Twitter spaces. Um, okay, George, so the ETF, the Noble Absolute Return ETF, ticker NOPE, which let's talk about that because I think that actually gets into your motivation for launching this ETF. So the tagline for this ETF is NOPE to passive investing, NOPE to ignoring valuations, and NOPE to asset bubbles. Give us the background here. Why did you launch this? Thanks for the question. So I, I, it was not my intention to start another fund. Um, as you mentioned, I've, I've, you know, I've, whether it was at Fidelity or my, uh, a couple of hedge funds along the way, I, I closed my last fund uh, in uh, 2009. And I wasn't going to – I tried to start another fund in 16. didn't really work out. And I wasn't going to try and uh, – I wasn't not going to establish another fund because it's just so hard to raise money. But then along came the Twitter spaces. And I kind of backed into it. It was never my intention to, to, to run another fund. Specifically, what happened was after a few months in the spring of last year, a few investors actually reached out to me and said, hey, George, we like what, you know, what you're saying. We like the way you're, you think, your speakers think. Um, would you consider taking some money from us? And I was like, hmm, that's an interesting idea. And just as Willie Sutton, you know, when asked, why do you rob banks? He famously replied, because that's where the money is. I said, you know what? Not that I'm robbing money from people, but maybe this ETF vehicle is a more efficient, intelligent, powerful way to raise money. Um, I looked around the ETF landscape. There's a preponderance, 99% plus of all ETFs are passive, not active. And given the investment environment that we're in, where I think we're, we're, we're in a regime change, I thought my skill set that I've amassed over the last four decades uh, would be useful in this market environment. So we put together um, the Noble Absolute Return ETF. Um, it's been, candidly, it's been a bit more volatile than I would have liked initially. Um, I was you know, bearish pretty much throughout all of uh, 2022. Unfortunately, uh, the timing of the starting of the launch of this ETF was in September 28th, two days before the biggest one-month rally in the Dow Jones since uh, 1976. I think the market was up over 14% in uh, October. Got off to a rough start. We managed to recoup. The year started off. So we're nicely in the black. The year started off. We got caught in a short squeeze here. The, but this will iron itself out. The basic objective of the ETF, it's an actively managed ETF. 
And unlike most most all other ETFs will invest in, invest in they're tied, the, the allocation is fixed. They're tied to a benchmark index or a particular discipline, you know, such as growth stocks or cannabis stocks or whatever. In market cycle, as the market cycles through its different regimes, different uh, disciplines go in and out of favor. So, you know, cannabis stocks can be hot and they're not hot. Tech stocks can be hot and they're not hot. And then in the case of passive, um, you know, which is probably one of the most popular of uh, ETF strategies, uh, passive indexation, say, to the S&P, that's really nothing more than a large cap momentum strategy. And so, what this ETF is, is, is attempting to do is exchange exposures over the cycle to generate absolute positive returns over the cycle. Life is not linear. Not every day is going to be up. Not every week is going to be up. But um, I think we're in a fantastic era right now um, for active managers. I think, you know, uh, and, and, and I'd like to think that the strategy we put together, um, you know, Hopefully, will be successful. But the point is, the returns are not tethered to number going up, i.e., i.e., the market having to go up. So, um, you know, I've been through a lot of cycles. I've uh, made money in good markets and bad. I've lost money in good markets and bad. But overall, I look at you know how my track record over the, over the decades and done pretty well overall. So it's meant to be an absolute return fund. Imagine, imagine, consider it sort of like a hedge fund. Uh, New York Stock Exchange listed hedge fund, except it has the added advantages of complete transparency. You can see the holdings every night on the on the website. Total liquidity. You can just push a button, get out whenever you want, or buy it whenever you want. Um, and from a cost perspective, uh, the, the, the manage these 98 basis points, which may sound high relative to the Vanguard Index ETF, but compared to other actively managed ETFs, and even more importantly. Compared to hedge funds, these structures bargain. And then, lastly, um, you know, one does not have to be a qualified investor to um, to purchase this this ETF if they're so inclined. So, you know, this is a more high octane ETF, um, but over the cycle, um, I'm hopeful that it will generate superior superior absolute returns. George, if I look at the uh, current holdings, and let me, let me just go through a few of these. So you have a large Tesla short position. You're shorting Robinhood, Coinbase. Uh, it looks like you have a large cash position on the Spider one to three month Treasury bill ETF ticker BIL. W- what do these say about your current views uh, of the market? And feel free, if you want to walk through your thought process around a few of those specific holdings, that's fine. Or if you just want to speak high level, I- I'm just curious your, your overall views on the market right now. Sure. So, um, yeah, so those the holdings are, you know, to be very blunt about it, the last couple of weeks have not been our finest hour. So the holdings are in transition. Uh, you're correct. Some of those are a little bit dated, but I'll speak to um, I'll speak to one of them in particular, the electric car company that shall not be named, namely Tesla. But backing up for a second, zooming out, I think we're coming through. I, I remain negative on markets um, in general. And in particular, and, and look, it's, it, 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 markets are very heterogeneous, uh, offer very heterogeneous uh, set of opportunities. So I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But um, for the last year, I've been maintaining and I continue to maintain that we are now um, we're going through the normalization of the cost of capital, that we went through a period of time post-GFC and particularly 
put on uh, accelerated uh, uh, condition um, post uh, when the COVID came along. The most expansive um, monetary policy in history, lowest interest rates in 5,000 years, extraordinary fiscal policy, which created the everything bubble. And basically, for the la- over the last year, we've been witnessing the everything bear market. Life is not linear. Uh, if you're lucky, it's two steps forward and one step backward. But um, whereas we had no pr- price discovery for so many years and pigs would fly, you know, that gave us, you know, crypto at seven, 70,000 and, and SPACs and, you know, you name it, the, 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 the dozens and hundreds of companies sporting billion-dollar-plus market caps losing money. I mean, I think it was at the Russell got up to like, what was it, I think 35% of the Russell that loses money. That's all the function of too much money uh, chasing too few stocks. I can't remember who said it. I think it was Charles Gabo once said, if you have more fools than, uh, um, uh, more, more, more money than fools, you have a bull market, and then more fools than money, you have a bear market. And so what's happening now, given the rise of inflation, uh, now, okay, inflation's rolling over, I get it, but it's still at uncomfortably high levels, and I think it's going to take a long time before it settles down to reasonable levels. Uh, you've seen a normalization, an attempt to normalize the cost of capital, and so we're reintroducing price discovery into asset prices. And so whether it's a loss-making tech stock selling on 30 times sales uh, or a SPAC, or let's talk about Tesla in a second, um, we're getting price discovery. And I think there's going to be a huge dispersion between the haves and the have-nots. And this goes back to the strategy of the fund. The idea would be to be long of companies where we see improving circumstances and short of companies where we see um, uh, diminishing circumstances. Try to capture that dispersion because in any given year, there's like a 30 If you look at like industry sectors, groups as an example, there's a lot, on average like a 30% spread between the best and the worst. It just so happens right now we haven't had we've had very few longs just because my conviction level on the shorts has been so high, um, and so. You know, you look at uh, take ARC as the poster child, really, for I think for probably the biggest excess in this market. Um, there's really nothing new under the sun for those that have been around for a while. Uh, you know, and I, I can remember the 2000 uh, bear market like it was yesterday. Um, Kathy Wood was not running money, but there were characters by the name of Garrett von Wagner, Ryan Jacob, Alberto Villar, Henry Blodgett, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you know these were the these were the heroes of the up cycle, and they subsequently declined by ninety you percent know, plus on the downside. And I just think it's extraordinary as testimony to um, why, which one of the reasons why I think this bear market's not over. I look at Arc, which even um, now is I think was down seventy percent last year. Uh, it's down eighty percent plus from its peak. But last year, despite being down seventy percent, the fund still took in inflows. These are these. This qualifies as what I like to describe as things you don't see at the bottom. I mean, the public, the market's down, but the public has not given up. To me, it's just extraordinary. So I think there's a lot more downside in many of these names, which um, you know are loss making, can't earn their way out, can't earn their market cap. In many cases, are cash flow negative. Let's go to Tesla. Tesla, uh, single biggest uh, excess in the market, in my opinion, continues to be. Um, Market cap, I don't know where it is right this minute, but pressing on $400 billion. Um, the stock is you know, down 60 70% in the last year. Having said that, though, um, you know, Tesla, to me, um, embodies 
so much of what's wrong with the market right now. The valuation uh, is, is problematic. We'll get to that in a second, but let's just talk about the fundamentals of the company. Um, you know, gonna, I think they, they're on track. Uh, they delivered about 1.3 million cars last year. Street estimates are for a million nine this year. I think they'll be lucky to do a million five. Uh, the business is uh, imploding as we speak. Um, delivery times have shrunk to virtually zero. Their backlog is de minimis now. Uh, used Tesla prices are collapsing. Um, and uh, as an old, old auto analyst, I can't emphasize enough the importance of um, used car prices. Just as an aside, it's probably more than you want to know. But my first assignment uh, early in my career when I started at Fidelity in 1981, I was fortunate enough to have been made the automobile analyst and therefore carried Peter Lynch's bags to Detroit and had a whole day when he had a whole day with Chrysler and the Iacocca and Ford and all the rest. And so I've been studying autos for a long time. I'm not, not my first rodeo when it comes to when it comes to autos. Also, parenthetically, I recall like it was yesterday, the DeLorean IPO, uh, John DeLorean. Um, you know, that that was a crash and burn. But in any event, coming back to Tesla, you have a combination of um, rapidly declining fundamentals. Everyone would know recently there's been they having to cut price furiously to try to uh, promote volume growth. That's going to come straight out of their gross margins. Um, you've got a company where the comp- competition, for the first time, is manifesting itself. Companies that you probably heard of, like Volkswagen and Daimler Benz and BMW, and the Koreans. I mean, there's real competition right now. And so you add this all together, and you have a stock which you know at 130. I think street consensus is supposed to make, I don't know, four or five bucks in 2023. I think they'll be lucky to make a dollar or two. I think they could even lose money. And I'll go one step further. Um, I think looking out a few years, I think the Tesla could potentially go bankrupt. Um, I do not believe they have a moat at all. There's nothing proprietary about what they do. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's the stock, but it's not a play on bankruptcy. If you just think about the numbers and you say, okay, they're going to make whatever. Let's say they make 2 $3, whatever, this year. It's a Chinese auto stock. They make all their money in China. What kind of multiple? That's like eight multiple stuff, and the stock's at 130. So I, I did a podcast. Um, I did a Twitter space. It's available on the YouTube channel um, uh, three weeks ago. With um, He goes by the name of Motorhead on um, uh, Twitter. He's a veteran Japanese auto analyst. We went through the numbers. We got into the weeds. We got down and dirty into the income statement and balance sheet. And the, we entitled, we, the, the title of the space was why Tesla will decline by 80%, could decline by 80% this year. And so I think it's a very important stock. It has been a bellwether, as I said, incredibly overvalued. People chasing narratives. Um, it's been a play on the whole uh, ESG green thing. You have a charismatic CEO, um, Elon Musk, who's, you know, captured the imagination of, uh, of, of, of the investor class, this Tony Stark-like character who's going to save the world. So, you know, I've been resolutely bearish in the stock for long as I care to admit, quite frankly. But I honestly think, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm not speaking about narrative, I'm talking about not just do the freaking numbers. I think they're probably going to make a buck or two this year, even if they make four bucks. It's an auto stock. It's not a tech stock. It's an auto stock, and competition is coming, and there's no moat. So I'm passionately bearish on Tesla right now. George, we only have about two minutes left here. Um, you, you mentioned the rough start performance-wise for Nope, and I, I do want to come back to that for just a minute because 
Look, when you launched the CTF, you were trailing the S&P pretty substantially into early December. And then the CTF absolutely took off. And you were outperforming the S&P by a ton in late December and early January. But if I look now since inception, you're back to trailing the S&P by something like 14, 15 points, at least as of yesterday. Can you just briefly talk about the performance right here? And the reason why I think this is important is more for people who are unfamiliar with absolute return strategies and how they should think about incorporating these into uh, traditional portfolios. Yeah, that's a very fair question. Happy to talk about it. as I think it was Yogi Berra once said, uh, predictions are difficult, especially about the futures. So take everything I'm going to say with a grain of salt. I mean, candidly, um, uh, the volatility of uh, the fund has been greater than I um, wished or had anticipated. We've had some uh, birthing pains. I think uh, managing an ETF as opposed to managing a hedge fund and mutual fund turned out to be a little bit difficult. And I'll also plead guilty to, you know, I, I pressed some bets at times that I shouldn't have. I expect the volatility will will um, dampen. At least that's my aspirational goal as we go forward. Um, I think it's important. So I, I, you know, they always say past results, good or bad, are not you know no guarantee of future returns or whatever. So I would expect the volatility to tamp down. I think also as far as returns, I'm not going to make predictions. And by the way, Nate, one of the things I really just uh, repulsive is how some ETF managers. Um, you know, uh, there's a woman who manages an ETF uh, named after a type of vessel, makes predictions about, you know, 40, 50, 60% returns for the next five years per annum for the next five years. I mean, I, I don't know how one can legally do that. So, um, you know, but in any event, I would expect the volatility to tamp, to tamp down. One should expect returns to be uh, uncorrelated to the market. Um, you know, I, I don't believe that man can eat relative bread. It doesn't really do you any good, at least in my opinion. You take a year like last year where the S&P was down, whatever it was, 18% to 20%, whatever the number was. And you say, oh, we did really well because we're only down 12. I mean, there's no excuse for that. We're trying to generate positive returns in any environment. I mentioned the dispersion earlier. Um, I would expect over time you'll see a more well-balanced portfolio emerge. Um, as I said, the timing of the launch of this ETF was most unfortunate. Um, and, you know, we, 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 we uh, I think the, the, the fourth quarter, I think we were up 25 or something like that. Unfortunately, we've given it all back in the first few weeks of this year. Just we've seen this crazy, crazy uh, short squeeze. I note this morning, Davy Day Trader is back. Uh, <laughs> so, like, what could possibly go wrong? Um, you know, you see Bed Bath & Beyond going up, what was 100% in one day the other day. So, the signs are emerging that, uh, you know, bear market rallies, bear market rallies are a feature, not a bug. And so I expect, I hope, I aspire that the volatility is going to diminish and uh, the returns, I think, over the cycle um, uh, will be satisfactory. And, you know, this, again, is uncorrelated to overall market levels. And also you should view it as, uh, an absolute return vehicle where you should measure us not by whether we're outperforming or underperforming the market, but are we making money, period. Hope that helps. Well, George, uh, we're going to have to leave it there. Really appreciate you taking the time this week. Congratulations on the launch of the uh, ETF. Again, that's the Noble Absolute Return ETF. Certainly wish you the uh, best of luck on that. Thank you for joining me this week. Thanks so much. been a pleasure. Take care. That was George Noble, founder and CEO of Noble Impact Capital. Thank you.
Is it time to amplify your income potential? Discover Amplify's high-quality and high-income ETFs designed to provide you monthly income. When income matters to you, explore Amplify ETFs. Get current monthly yields at AmplifyYields.com. There's no guarantee that distributions will be made. Investing risk includes principal loss. Visit Amplify ETFs to view a prospectus, which includes investment objectives, risks, fees, expenses, and other information that you should read and consider carefully. Amplify ETFs are distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. joined by both Robert Jager, Vice President, Head of North America at Track Insight, and Mo Sparks, who's Director of Exchange Traded Products at the New York Stock Exchange. And back in September, they rolled out a brand new ETF platform. It's called ETF Central. It's appropriately found at ETFcentral.com. And the overall idea here is to educate ETF investors by providing data and analytics and news content. They've done a, a great job on this platform. And Robert and Mo are both now on the line with me from New York. Gentlemen, great having you on the podcast. Thanks for having us, Nate. All right. So Thanks, Nate. So we're going to get into uh, what investors will find at ETF Central. But I think you guys both know I always love a good background story. So I'm very curious, how did this all come together, this collaboration between Track Insight and NYSE? Uh, Mo, I'll, I'll start with you. Yeah, no, perfect. And uh, obviously, thank you again for, for having us today and for everything that you do for the ETF ecosystem. And, you know, truthfully, friend investors, I've been a big fan of yours and obviously I've known you for a while. But Real pleasure to join you on the podcast today. So, yeah, excited to talk about ETF Central. Uh, you know, if I take a step back and think about, you know, really our business here at the NYSE, we have a variety of different things from obviously helping companies go public on the capital markets to helping asset managers really launch ETFs. And that's a little bit about what we're talking about today. And so, you know, we're the world's largest exchange for the listing and trading of ETFs. And so, we're consistently trying to find ways in which we can deliver value back to our clients and really the ecosystem at large, right? And so why do I start there and talking about the origin story? You know, it's, it's out of that position that ETF Central was really born, right? And so, you know, central to our business is kind of two things, right? We wake up every day and we think about how do we consistently ensure that we have, is our name implies with the e-exchange, right? the best venue for the trading of ETFs, right? And we offer end investors the greatest liquidity, whether they're a large investor or a small investor, they can trade at a price that's closest to fair value, right? We're not going to spend a ton of time talking about that today, but the second pillar is, I think, where we will really talk about ETF Central, and that's 
you know, really being a platform to connect to market participants, right? Every from, everyone from the trading firms that are present can show up and create liquidity on our exchange every single day to end investors and to helping ensure that end investors have access to content, collateral, perspectives, right, such that this ecosystem continues to grow and expand, right? And so, you know, really with ETF Central, it goes back to the last number of years uh, in our business, we've been thinking about, you know, how do we ensure that our content and the perspectives of our clients, everyone from the large clients and asset managers to the small, are getting that content in the hand of end investors, right? So those investors are informed, can make good decisions, and use ETFs to solve problems that they have, whether they're small things like saving for a near-term goal or bigger-term things like retirement, saving for houses, et cetera. And so, you know, it's, it's been really a multi-year journey for us, right, as we've gone through and kind of created these video series ourselves. We've had great partners. We've done things made with you. Uh, we've done things with the team at Vetify, right, as a few different examples. And, you know, I think what it came down to is, you know, no pun really intended, but in some ways a pun intended, we're missing a central place to put that content, right? And so uh, a really a vessel for the storage and the retrieval as we've moved into a more digital age. And so it just so happened that, you know, at that same time as we were thinking, how do we take everything to the next level? We were approached by the late, great John Renee, who, you know, many across this ecosystem and industry know, and, and Rob around everything that the Track Insight team, and I'm sure uh, Rob will talk about that in a few minutes, we're planning to do for the ecosystem, particularly the U.S., and we were aligned on a few things. We were aligned on driving education, and we became really excited. And so Origin was a number of conversations, right? One thing led to the next, and as you appropriately referenced in in September of last year, uh, we were really happy to introduce to the investing public ETF Central, right, a destination site for folks to go and to get all that perspective, that commentary from our issuers and the community of of ecosystem participants, but then couple that with high-quality data, right, and tools to better make investment decisions. So that's the origin story. That's what, uh, you know, kind of gets us going every single day as we continue to think about this. It's, It's education, education, education. And Robert, talk a bit more about Track Insight because, you know, as I think about this, I've been familiar with your story for a while just being in the ETF space, but I'm not sure some of our listeners are familiar with the Track Insight. So just talk a little bit more about who you are and some of your capabilities. Thanks, Nate. Um, it's a pleasure to be here as well, as, as Mo said, and um, thank you for giving us a chance to uh, teach uh, and, and educate around ETF Central. So Track Insight actually uh, was founded in the south of France in 2014 by a small group of financial professionals who were advising institutions on their ETF investment strategies. And through that work, they realized that professional investors had access to expensive systems, data, and technology that made it easy for them to invest in ETFs. But no one was really focused in on the average investor to realize the same benefit. So they decided it was time to build a world-class ETF data and analytics um, offering, but democratize that through uh, a global constellation of websites. Fast forward to today, we're operating out of six countries, helping millions of investors find the ETF that's right for them. Our business is broken down into three uh, lines of business, the first of which is our constellation of destination websites. ETF Central is our 
publicly available, free to use, free to access uh, platform for U.S. investors in partnership with Mo and the New York Stock Exchange team. That's our big play for the U.S. But more broadly, around the world, we have the Financial Times ETF hub, the Pensions and Investments ETF Exchange. We do the ETF uh, platform on the Zone Bourse Market Screener. We have the Canadian ETF market with the NEO Exchange. And lastly, the Ajefi ETF hub. Uh, keep keep your eyes uh, uh, and ears open. We have three more partner sites under development that we hope to launch in 2023. Our second line of business is offering our ETF data and analytics uh, of over 9,000 products listed worldwide uh, to, to all investors to feed into their internal systems. This includes things like fund characteristics, performance, flows, liquidity analytics, of course, ESG style, and replication accuracy. And lastly, um, from the business that I mentioned uh, that, that led to the creation of Track Insight is our investment advisory and fund picking services that we offer to institutions. And there, our team of experts perform due diligence on funds. They help develop ETF investment strategies and, in certain instances, manage a portfolio of ETFs. Um, and we continue to grow. We're pretty new on the scene in the U.S., but we hope to uh, continue to launch um, value-added services over the coming years and as we grow our footprint. All right. So, look, I've had an opportunity to uh, play around with ETF Central, and I've got to tell you both, I love the ETF search tool. It's uh, it's very intuitive. I, I love seeing what's going to pop up depending upon what word I put in that, uh, that, that search bar. But explain exactly what investors are going to find at ETFcentral.com. Robert, I'll, I'll toss that one your way. We, we launched uh, ETF Central with a few overarching goals. The first was that it had a best-in-class user experience. So we brought modern design to the table, and we launched what we consider five main sections to the website. The first, of course, is the homepage, which is a blend of New York Stock Exchange uh, data, Track Insight ETF data, and editorial content targeted at U.S. investors. The next component is the advanced ETF screener that will allow users to explore the growing universe of ETFs available in the U.S., the next is something very interesting that Mo and I put a lot of time into, which is our ETF segment pages that allow users to explore key metrics over, on over 100 categories of ETFs. And then, of course, we have uh, individual fund tear sheets that give you important information on each and every ETF in the U.S. And then lastly, we have ETFU, which is a comprehensive library of educational materials for investors to help grow adoption of ETFs in uh, portfolios. Mo, anything you would add to that? Yeah, I mean, I think, Nate, you said it right. To me, it's it's search, right? I mean, discoverability is just so key now with the amount of information that's out there. And I think that's one thing that we recognized on our side as we go back to that origin story is there are certain things we were really good at at the NYC, and there are certain places where we needed a partner, right? And it was aggregating all the content we have plus making that content discoverable, right? And so that search bar is key. And then I think the second thing is I would just end with ETFU, right? That's what gets me really excited. And ETFU is kind of the name implies is ETF University, right? So it's that one shop kind of stop for an investor who's looking to better understand the ecosystem from the basics to the more advanced things. So there's guides there. And I think there's a lot of exciting things that we see in that space as we move forward. Uh, that we're really eager to share with the ecosystem at large. It, Mo, just a few minutes left here. Going back to this collaboration 
overall and why it was important for the New York Stock Exchange's uh, business. Look, as you mentioned, you're obviously the leader by far in ETF listing. Something like 75% of ETF assets are, are listed on NYSE. Can you just talk a little bit more about the longer term vision with ETF Central and, and how this fits into what you're trying to do moving forward? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think we uh, we feel very fortunate, obviously, to have the share we have. We worked really hard to do so, and we wake up every day and want to ensure that we continue to have that share. So we have about nearly 2,000 ETFs as well that are now listed with us, and so a really big number. And as we took that bigger step back, as I kind of mentioned in, in my opening comment, it really was we needed to ensure that more investors are better informed or better educated, right, on ETFs and the benefits. I think, you know, we're the three of us kind of ETF nerds and most people probably that uh, join your show, Nate, and, and many that are listening. But there's still a, a growing audience of users out there, right? There's a next generation of investors, whether they're really young investors or even their older investors. Right? I look at my parents as an example of, of folks that are less aware of what exactly an ETF is and, and how one can benefit from using it, right, to solve problems that they have. And so we needed to ensure that we were just doing more, right? It's that simple. And, you know, I think if we look at our business, it, it benefits us to do more. As more people are utilizing ETFs, right, that's more likely that there's more new ideas that are coming into the marketplace. And then those new ideas are, are listing at the New York Stock Exchange, and those ETFs are trading at the New York Stock Exchange. Um, and that's a really profound thing for us. And so it's really that simple. It's, it's drive education, grow the pie, and ensure that more individuals are using ETFs. Mo, you mentioned the uh, ETF nerds, which I'm certainly in that category. Before I let you go, if you don't mind, I'd love to quickly switch gears and ask you uh, a question that I think the ETF nerds will appreciate, which is this recent news of Harbor Capital Advisors transferring three ETFs to the floor of the NYSE. That actually followed PIMCO doing the same with their active bond ETF bond. Uh, I believe that was in November of, of last year. I know this can get a little wonky and, and we're a little bit short on time, but can you try to summarize the, uh, the the basics here? Why might this be beneficial for an ETF issuer? Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a great question. It definitely is one that uh, us nerds could get into <laughs> the details on very, very quickly. And we start talking about things like market structure and in people's eyes, most of them would glaze over, but there's clearly an audience that's out there. You know, if I take one step backwards, right, uh, most all ETFs have traded on electronic markets here in the U.S., right? So uh, many people don't recognize the NYSE group has a few different exchanges. Uh, ETFs up until November of last year were listed, as you said, on, on NYSE ARCA. And what we did is we've been working in the last few years to, to re-engage and reopen up the NYSE floor for the trading ETFs. We go backwards in time, you know, really quickly. American Stock Exchange was the initial kind of birthplace of SPY, right? So we're getting ready to celebrate in just a few uh, days here, SPY's 30th anniversary, and it traded on the floor of an Amex, right? The trading models on the floor have, have been very different, right? And that difference brings real benefits, we thought, to ETF investors, right? And so as we kind of looked at things that we can continue to do to ensure that investors are getting better outcomes, right, which is more purchase right around fair value and greater liquidity. We found that the floor had a unique ability to pair up everything that we get in electronic markets with state-of-the-art technology, 
with a human, particularly to help around opening and closing auctions, right, which is kind of an important thing in, in the ecosystem we've talked about for a long time is, as an end investor, be very wary of trading around the open or the close, right? Because you want things like price discovery to happen. And, you know, without getting into the weeds, the model on the floor allows for uh, what we call a designated market maker, an individual human, to sit there and kind of slow down the open of a security and the close of a security. And that can have some real benefits in terms of matching off liquidity that's out in the marketplace and the trading such that it actually hits it at better, more fair price for that end investor. So a really positive thing. You know, I think this is, you know, for an if an issuer, it gets them out of uh, their end clients calling them and saying, hey, I put a market on open uh, order in and I got a bad execution, or I went to trade at the close and I got a bad execution, right? That's, that's a call that capital markets folks have, have had for 30 plus years and not ones that they, they really enjoy, right? It's a bad client experience. If we can solve that with market structure and change dynamics, let's do that. That's what we look at is, is innovation in our industry. So, you know, excited about kind of what's to come and there's a lot more. Well, and I think just looking at some of the basic liquidity metrics around bonds since it moved down to the floor in November, you can see the uh, the improvement there. And so I, I think to what you're saying, I certainly expect to see uh, this become more of a trend with additional issuers uh, pursuing this path. But gentlemen, we're going to have to leave it there. Congratulations on the ETF Central platform. Again, listeners, definitely check this out. It's at ETFcentral.com. Robert, Mo, thank you for joining me. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Nate. It's a pleasure. That was Robert Jager, Vice President, Head of North America at Track Insight, and Mo Sparks, Director of Exchange Traded Products at the New York Stock Exchange. That'll do it for this week's ETF Prime. Next week, I'll be joined by Grayscale's Dave Lavelle. We will discuss the latest around their lawsuit against the SEC on converting the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust into an ETF. And then Goldman Sachs' Marissa Ansel will talk thematic ETF investing. Until then, have a great week, everyone.